0: Episode 121 of the Bevan James R Show, an interview with Eric Barker. Rightio team, welcome along to episode 121 of the Bevan James I'll Show, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of fitness, so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Welcome along, I've actually released this just before Christmas Day, so some of you may be listening to me on Christmas Day. Now, I highly doubt it, but I might get one or two listeners listening on Christmas Day, and if so, Merry Christmas to you. And for those who are listening uh, maybe after Christmas Day or before Christmas Day, well, hopefully you're having a good holiday season. And if you're listening in the future, well... Think back to Christmas and enjoy that memory. Today's show, I've got a really good interview. I recently read a book called Barking Up the Wrong Tree by a guy called Eric Barker. It's the, the kind of subtitle is The Surprise Science Behind Why Everything You Know About Success Is Mostly Wrong. And it was it's basically what Eric does, and you find that in the interview, is he's just someone who spends a lot of time reading research and kind of finding what are the real keys to creating success. And it was really interesting kind of, reading his book because a lot of you know if you're someone like myself who reads a lot of his books I did know some of the research that he talks about in the book but there was there was also some stuff in there which I'd never read myself and I was just like wow he's got some really good stuff in here so I I flicked him an email and said can I get him on for an interview and he said nope definitely keen so uh last week actually we caught up we had an interview so I'm going to put that on today and um yeah I think you're really going to enjoy it because Eric's a guy who basically spends his life trying to figure out what really creates success and i think the thing i really like about eric is it's all based on science so it's all it's not just you know here's what i do which it's, not to dismiss that person who has who offers advice because appears on what I do, but I think, you know, we do wanna have some kind of method to figure out is that applicable to other people and obviously science is a great way to do that. So I'm gonna put the interview up pretty much straight away. But before I do I wanna thank the patrons of the show. Patrons are the people who give a little bit of money towards each show that I put out and it really helps me do what I do. As I've been saying over the last couple episodes, I'm about to release my new um, my new website coming up really soon and my patrons have pretty much paid for that so patrons thank you so much um, some of the patrons include uh, when you become a patron you get a Bevan James Owl's nickname and so we've got Ru Brankio and it is Branco. sorry and it is Street Fighter we've got Josh Complete Grit Alice we've got Sabrina the number one pick we've got Ruth On Fire News Stud, we've got George Monopoly Man Street, and we've got Dean The Cool Cube, Cubie. So those are patrons of the show, and to become a patron, just go to bevanjamesisles.com, and it's all very clear on the website. Just lastly, before I put the interview up with Eric, if you haven't checked out my product, My 5K Dream, it's a beginner running program, it's a a 10-week video course where I teach you everything, and I mean everything everything it's got programs it's got strength videos it's got strength technique videos it's got yoga it's got stretch workouts but more importantly each week in the program you have a meet up with me and it's basically like a 30 to 40 minute we- meeting with me where I teach you all the lessons that you need to know to be successful and this includes mind strategies the things you need to know and so on so if you're interested in doing something like that go to my5kdream.com and you can get that on com as well so let's get into the interview of Eric Barker, the author of Barking Up the Wrong Tree. Here's Eric right now. here, team, I'm very excited to have on a show a man by the name of Eric Barker and he's recently released a book called Barking Up the Wrong Tree, the science, surprising science behind why everything you know about success is mostly wrong. Welcome to the show, Eric.
1: Oh, it's great to be here.
0: Um, I, I, kind of, I, I really enjoyed your book, and we'll kind of go into the details of the book as we go further into it, but you're obviously somebody who's been very motivated by this kind of subject of success. Maybe tell me a little bit about yourself and your history and why this is such a motivator for you and in, in your own kind of career.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I took a very unconventional career, and uh, I was a screenwriter in Hollywood, and then I... Then I ended up uh, getting an MBA, worked in the video game industry, and then I started my blog. And you know, I, I had a very unconventional career, and I found that you know a lot of the kind of maxims of success we all grew up with, like you know, uh, nice guys finish last. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Uh, a lot of them just seemed like sometimes they applied, sometimes they didn't apply. Like I, I wasn't sure, and you know, had anybody really tested these ideas? And uh, on, my, you know, on my blog, which, which is also named Barking Up the Wrong Tree, um, you know, I, I started to explore kind of in uh, social science research. Uh, you know, so uh, I basically started looking at that and for the book, I said let's, let's look at these maxims of success that we've all learned growing up and you know, let's see if science validates them, if they're true, if they're not true – uh, you know, when when are they true? When may, might they not be true? Are they true in the past and are no longer? Uh, because I had, you know, wondered myself uh, because, because like I said, I had a very different kind of, kind of career. So it was really from my experiences that I, I wanted these answers as well to know, like, what did I really need to do to, to be successful in my endeavors?
0: Up until this kind of journey around this book and this kind of content creation, did you see yourself as a success yourself?
1: I mean, you know, it was it was weird. I I always felt like, you know, I was always doing something that uh, that that I was passionate about that I was that I was interesting. I mean, you know, like I said, you know, writing Hollywood was 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 really cool, really fun, but it was just, you know, ups and downs. So, you know, I was I was excited about it. I was passionate about it, but You know, it's like it's all freelance and, you know, it can be very tricky to be consistent, you know, and so in some ways, I mean, I was very pleased with what I was doing, but, you know, it it just success financially was just, you know, feast or famine. It was it was up and down. And, you know, it's when you start to wonder about, you know, with que- again, those kind of questions like do what you love and, you know, those those kind of things. Are they true? Does it really work? And so I, I felt like I was successful in the sense that I was pursuing my passions. But, you know, I, I, I certainly wasn't a millionaire. So I it, it depends on on the lens you look at it through.
0: Was it a hard moment in your life? You know, like um, I, I work in fitness, and you see, this as fitness is a very poor-paying industry, generally speaking, and so you get people who are very passionate, but they just can't afford to stay in the industry because they maybe lack some business sense or just haven't been able to create a, enough of an, a financial career around it. Um, to let go of the passion was that a, was it a challenging moment for you to maybe have to let go of the thing you're passionate about, but lacking stability in?
1: Yeah, I mean, that was the thing for me was that, you know, I managed to get to do some really, I mean, I wrote for Walt Disney Pictures, I wrote for 20th Century Fox, I, you know, I, I got to do some really cool stuff, but, you know, wasn't, it wasn't consistent, and that's when, you know, among the time when I was, I was asking myself, like, is there, is there something I'm doing wrong, is there some, you know, ru- rule of the universe I'm kind of <laughs> violating here, uh, you know, or, or is it all luck, is it all, is it all random, uh, you know, but, That was the uh, that was the question for me was you know what what did I what did I need to be doing because it it was it was a tough transition luckily you know there there were a number of things I was I was passionate about so it wasn't I didn't feel like oh God this is the one thing I was intended for and now I'm I'm not going to do it and I'm selling out. No, I mean there's a lot of things I'm passionate about, and luckily, you know, I, I transitioned to to a few others that were that were really interesting for me until the blog really took off and the and the book really took off. Uh, but but yeah, it was a it was a tough transition to go through.
0: Well, it's, it's a really interesting kind of area, isn't it? Because you know, for you and, and like my, my, myself are the same. Is that I I'm very passionate about the thing that I do, so it's kind of you know. Then you've got to go, how do you make a career out of the passion? But for a lot of people, they are kind of asking that, how do you find passion?
1: i mean that's that's definitely something that you know that that some people face is that they're not sure what they're excited about or uh, you know another another difficulty is maybe you know what another very common problem is that people know what they're excited about but it's 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 the same thing that everybody else is excited about Uh, you know so everybody wants to be you know a a famous singer or a famous athlete Uh, so it's extremely uh, competitive with very few openings uh, or people are passionate about something that, you know, that frankly doesn't doesn't have a lot of opportunity for, you know, for for making money, like, mm-hmm. you know, like like playing video games as opposed to say making video games. Uh, so so no, that can be something that that a lot of people really, really struggle with. And that's that's an area where 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 people really need to experiment. There's one thing I talk about in the book called Little Bets, which is basically a form of testing. Where, you know, you, you go out and you deliberately make uh, low investment efforts to try something out, to see if you like things and to, you know, to basically just without like jumping in and, you know, buying the, the, the two year membership or whatever. You go out, you say, hey, do I like this? Let me try this. Trying some low low investment efforts to try new things, see what you like, expose yourself to new things, so hopefully you can find something that you're you're, you're passionate about and you might want to pursue long term.
0: It's funny I, you you talking about that really triggers something from my life when I was younger. I was I became a very unbalanced person because I was too much into exercise. And so I, I had a year of discovery and it was basically just what you said there. I said I wrote down everything I thought I would ever want to try and I had a year where I just tried everything. And at the end of it, I realized there was kind of three areas I wanted to move forward in. And it's a real example of what you're talking about there.
1: No, I mean that's it's it really pays off. Uh, you know, another study that I reference I reference in the book is that uh, you know, when when young people in their 20s hop jobs very quickly. Uh, yeah, that was interesting, wasn't more, it? Yeah. yeah, more often than not, they end up doing well later because they gather more skills uh, by, by changing companies, uh, they're more likely to, to get a raise than staying at the same company for, for years. And they're actually more likely to, uh, to become CEO of a company because they have a much more well-rounded perspective of different roles, different divisions uh, in a company. So job hopping, when you're young, you know, trying lots of different things can actually pay off uh, i mean if you're if, if you're if you're a total flake and and don't gain any skills <laughs> yeah. and just keep hopping randomly uh that's 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 not terribly beneficial but but if you uh if you you know kind of strategically like move around and try a bunch of different things uh, that can make you much more of a you know well round a well rounded worker
0: it regards to um thinking about Going into the book, when you're kind of, I'm sure you, you know, like we all have ideas of what creates success, and, uh, and we probably want to listen to those who, well, we think we want to listen to those who have had success, but often they don't even know themselves, but um, the, what were the ideas that maybe have shocked you the most, you know, that you went into it thinking, oh, I think this creates success, but actually proves that maybe that's not the case?
1: Uh, I mean, one of the main things was uh, a study that was done by Karen Arnold at Boston College that you know showed that uh, valedictorians, uh, you know people who come first in their class, uh, do well, but they don't usually end up being the people who who kind of change the world or lead the world uh, or end up as you know, Billionaires at the very top, mm-hmm. uh, because people who people who become valedictorians usually score high in the personality trait of conscientiousness. In other words, they're they're good at following rules. So that means, you know, in school, school has plenty of rules. It's a very set system. You do what you're told. You do well. Life is a lot more flexible. You know, and life doesn't have clear rules. So. Again, uh, you know, Val Victorians end up doing well, you know, because they follow the tried and true path, but they usually don't end up reinventing the system, you know, or leading the system because there's an element of, of risk and uncertainty uh, in life outside of school that, that their personality type often isn't comfortable with, and that's why uh, that's the reason why when you hear about some you know great founders or leaders of companies, you know, like Steve Jobs. Uh, and And others who dropped out of college there mm. uh, was there was one, there was one uh, study of the forbes four hundred so like the you know the four hundred richest people yeah. out there, and the subset that had these so these are all billionaires, but the subset that had dropped out of college actually had a higher net worth than the subset who had gone to the top universities in the United States
0: wow. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Um, in chapter three, you talk a lot about kind of optimists versus pessimists um, and the, kind of the different paths or the different way they approach life and the kind of the effects of that. It's a pretty interesting discussion. You may also share us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, that really come, becomes an issue uh, in terms of grit, you know, in terms of persistence towards long term goals. Mm. Uh, because uh, an optimist, the, the research is pretty consistent that people who have an optimistic perspective. Uh, have more grit. They're more Mm -hmm. persistent. And, And it makes intuitive sense when you think about it because if you are pessimistic, if you don't think things are going to work out, why would you persist? And if you do think, you know, hey, if you think every time you walk into the casino, you know, you're gonna every time you roll the dice, uh, you're you're gonna you're gonna make money, then you're gonna persist at it because you you believe it's gonna work out, and and that's what the research actually shows is that people who have an optimistic perspective towards the future uh, are more likely to weather the storm, hang in there through tough times. Now now again, that doesn't mean that things are necessarily going to work out. It just means that. They they are more persistent. So, so if it's a bad goal, <laughs> uh, that and that's the issue I, I do talk about in the book because mm. right now grit is kind of having its heyday, and everybody's talking about grit, persistence, grit, resilience, and you know you can have a dumb goal, <laughs> yeah. and if that's a dumb goal, persisting with it is not a good idea. Uh, that's throwing good money after bad. But you know, if you have a reasonable goal, if you have something that you can achieve but, but you might experience some problems or some failure, uh, at least initially, uh, having an optimistic perspective will allow you to keep going uh, when things do get a little rocky to weather the storm and to, to achieve the goal in the end.
0: Yeah, but one of the problems like in that book Thinking Fast and Slow he talks about this as well and he talked about how um, if I wish a child, a child could have anything it would be optimism and it kind of talks a lot about what you talk about here is this kind of they they persist longer a little bit unrealistic often but it works to their advantage because they'll push through um, but suppose the, the real question is because a lot of people who will be listening to this and saying well I'm just naturally pessimistic um, or yeah. I, I am optimistic so I will identify with one or the other for those who, are, you know, are maybe seeing themselves as pessimistic, how do you go about it changing that?
1: Uh, but how you go about changing that? Yeah, what the what the scientific literature says, and this is mostly work done by Martin Seligman uh, and Angela Duckworth at the yeah. University of Pennsylvania, uh, is is what they call the three P's, which is uh, it's personal, uh, was it personal, pervasive, and uh, permanent. In other words, uh, if you see good things that happen in your life as uh, permanent, uh, I'm sorry, personal, uh, permanent, and pervasive. In other words, when good things happen, you see that you're responsible for it. It's personal. This good thing happened because I did it. You see it as pervasive. This good thing is going to affect every area of my life, and you see it as persistent. This good thing is going to keep going on. It's going to. It's going to keep happening. Uh, when you perceive a uh, positive events that way, uh, you're more likely to be optimistic. And when you don't see negative events as personal, it's all my fault. You don't see it as, as permanent. You know, this is going to, this is, this problem is going to go on forever or pervasive. This problem is going to affect every area of my life. So basically what happens is when things happen, uh, it, you know, you want to encourage yourself to see that, that, positive stuff as personal, permanent, and pervasive. And if you do start to, in, to, to interpret negative things as personal, it's my fault, permanent or pervasive, you want to challenge yourself. You want to you question those things. You don't just want to accept them uh, with your first impression. So, so if you do say, oh, God, this bad thing happened and it's all my fault, you want to challenge that. Is it really all my fault, you know, th- that nobody else was responsible? There wasn't an element of randomness here or somebody else? You know, is, is is it really pervasive? Is this bad thing going to affect every area of my life? And by questioning it, then you can start to kind of pull out of that, that negative spiral. Uh, and like I said, to give yourself that positive credit uh, when when optimistic things happen, that's how you can start to, to to turn things towards a more optimistic perspective is by, you know, looking at those three P's and, you know, and seeing the good things as uh, personal permanent and pervasive and the bad things as
0: not. And with people who are identifying with what you're talking about and kind of thinking, Oh, this is a great idea. The real key to it is actually practicing the technique, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what's, that's one of the biggest issues with a lot of these things mm. is that, you know, is that, I find across the board a lot of people. A lot of people just want to read, yeah. and they want to think that after they read something, that now it's magically going to change their life. Uh, and you know, that's generally not the case. Is that you know uh, you don't you don't you don't read a book about martial arts and and then and <laughs> then go, go kick ass like Batman. <laughs> you know, that's that's not how it works. You you actually have to practice. Mm. And uh, the same thing is true of a lot of these psychological techniques is you know you really have to to do the work. And you know, for some people, uh, that's for some people that's a bit trickier. You need to put it into practice. We can't just read and think that we're going to absorb it after one pass.
0: Yeah. And, and I, one strategy I always try to use with people was that kind of in this area where there is a tool that can help me progress forward is to grade myself. So you might say that I am a pessimist and I'm an optimist, maybe a grade two optimist out of 10, and and then kind of look for the skills around it. So why am I a grade two? Well, because when something happens, I use the three Ps in a bad way. Okay, so what would be a grade four? And then what you're looking at is what would be the skills that would help me improve myself up that grade so I was better at it. And then we can really identify what you need to practice. And so it's awareness, catching the moment when I'm being pessimistic, identifying what I normally do, and then looking for, okay, well, what's a better strategy or the tools that I've learned, like the, the three Ps, in the more positive light they can actually mean that I could apply with a conscious kind of behavior right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, with a lot of the psychological techniques, uh, you know, what you just said is, is really critical. Uh, it's the critical first step is noticing. Mm. You know, is that a lot of what we do... You know, we we don't really notice, especially, and this is critical in terms of habits, uh, you know, is do, do you – if you're trying to break a bad habit, do you actually notice when you're doing it or are you doing it unconsciously, you mm-hmm. know, and – just watching our behavior, noticing our behavior, seeing yourself start to engage, you know, in a bad habit, or seeing that window when you should start engaging in that positive new habit that you want to. With optimism, you know, the the, the critical element of noticing comes down to self-talk. Because we all say about three hundred to a thousand words per minute to ourselves in our head. Really? That and many? Wow. usually we yeah, and usually we, we accept that as as gospel. We hear that in our head and assume, oh, that's, that must be true, and that's not the case because we all know sometimes you're in a bad mood, you're in a good mood, uh, something's affecting you that that all the voices that, that you hear in your head are not necessarily true uh, you know like i said sometimes you're feeling down sometimes you're drunk you you know you know that you're not thinking clearly then or you're t- or you just woke up and you're 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 groggy so to to hear that voice and question it to hear that voice and it's being unnecessarily negative to not just immediately accept that as the tr- as the truth to say hold on wait a second let me kind of test that that theory that that's going through my head Uh, let me check with, for the three Ps. And, you know, and this comes into a big part of, of, you know, of what mindfulness is all about Mm. is just kind of monitoring what's going through your head without judging it, you know, just seeing it, experiencing it, and then taking a step back and evaluating it rather than just immediately going with, with whatever impulse strikes you.
0: Uh, I think you did really well on your book, which I really liked is you kind of you kind of battled yourself in a, in a way, and what I mean is that each chapter is, you, you'd start the chapter, and then you kind of sell one argument, and then you kind of flip it on its head, and then you kind of showed sort of the other side of the argument, and then you kind of merge it all together at the end. Was that what the approach you were going for? Yeah, because
1: I because these things are nuanced. I I, I just I have a I have a, it, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine that a lot of the uh, a lot of the books you read on uh, psychology or self-improvement uh, often they have one idea and they beat you over the head with it for 250 pages yeah. and and that gets redundant uh, or they just make it seem all or nothing. you know it's well all you have to have is this one quality and everything will work out and it's rarely that simple. you know it's it's usually that there's a number of factors. in some ways it's good in some ways it's bad. Because if, if everything was that black and white, then, well, first of all, you probably wouldn't need a uh, 300-page book. Uh, and this this issue probably would have been resolved by now if it was all that clear. Mm-hmm. So I try to walk everybody through. It's like, hey, here's, here's the reason why you might think – Uh, Being an extrovert is great. And there are things that are great about being an extrovert. But on the other hand, here's the things that are great about being an introvert. Mm. Uh, You know, and then let's look at in which environments this has benefits versus this has benefits. And then let's figure out the best way to, to leverage either one of those skills and to navigate situations appropriately. To me, that's a much more grounded, realistic way of looking at things than the very black and white, oh, the answer is always X. Uh, life doesn't work like that.
0: Yeah. One of the most powerful things I, I took from the book um, was the chapter on um, Believing in Yourself Sometimes and this idea of um, kind of confidence, lack of confidence or high esteem. But actually, the research seems to be showing that the real benefit of self-compassion is the thing we should be aiming for. Do you want to give us a bit more on that? Yeah, I
1: mean, we, you know, confidence is one of those things where where we we act like you know it's this panacea that cures everything, and yet we forget that we all know somebody who is wildly overconfident yeah. and just kind of comes off like an idiot because <laughs> they they have a completely their their view of themselves or their ability is completely divorced from reality, and they just they just think that things are the greatest and they're going to do great. And they don't. And and they seem to be utterly unaffected by it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's not that's not a good way to improve because, uh, you know, there are a lot of downsides actually to overconfidence. You know, one is you you you're misjudging the world. So there's there's going to be a correction. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, you're, you're, you're going to fail because you, you think your abilities are greater than they are. And reality is eventually going to punch you in the face. Uh, you know, beyond that. Uh, we all know somebody who's a little too cocky, who's a little bit arrogant because of that. And that's well demonstrated uh, in the research that people who feel extremely powerful, feel extremely – are usually jerks <laughs> because they, they feel like they're better. Past that, uh, it makes it very difficult to learn. When you think you have all the answers, when you're overconfident, when you, when you think you're just an expert – it's hard to become an expert when you think you already are. Mm-hmm. So uh, the really critical element here is now obviously having utterly low confidence. You know, if you can't get out of bed in the morning, that's not going to be good. Uh, and if you if you really don't believe in yourself, that can have negative effects. You know, uh, like on game day, you know, when things really matter. But there are upsides to low confidence, like the ability to learn. You don't think you know everything, so you do listen to people. But in the end, the whole confidence paradigm uh, turns out to be uh, really difficult uh, because of the fact that confidence is either delusional—you uh, know, you're, you're seeing the world incorrectly—or it's contingent. Like you, you always feel like you're you're either good or bad depending on how you perform, and that creates a roller coaster of emotions. So what a lot of the research has shown now is that self-compassion. Is actually the better way to go. Self-compassion actually comes from it comes from Buddhism, uh, but it's been validated by research by Kristen Neff at the University of Texas at Austin. And what self-compassion says is rather than blowing yourself up to be this awesome, you know, incredibly wonderful person that's that's better than you are, self-compassion says try and look at the world as realistically as possible mm-hmm. and realize that you're human. You're gonna screw up and forgive yourself for it. So it's, you're going to see the world accurately, you know, and and you're going to forgive yourself when you make you make errors, as opposed to believing you're better than you are, and when you make an error it's, it's overwhelming and it's hard to come back from because it completely shatters your self-image.
0: So it's it's an interesting one about that is even just how you identify yourself to your outside world, you know, like a lot of people exaggerate their ability. Um, you know, it might be your wealth. It might be your ability at sport. It might be your ability at some hobby you do or in your career. Um, and it's really interesting to see where we do that or where we downplay ourselves, you know, and as you say, kind of, being really clear about just where you are is actually a really good place to start and then as you try to progress forward you know this idea of you know believing in yourself is nice but forgiving is actually better if you don't always hit the mark
1: yeah i mean there's no doubt the research shows that that confidence does affect other people and very strongly Mm. so you know if you're trying to make a good impression being confident has you know has great power Mm. uh however uh you have to you know you have to think it's like do you actually want to do you want to be known as a success or do you actually want to be a success you know and the issue there is that while people respect confidence you know, again, confidence is not directly correlated with performance. Uh, You know, uh, you want to actually be good at what you're doing, not just appear good at what Mm -hmm. you're doing, especially if it's something that has clear metrics. You know, at the, uh, if you're talking about sports, you know, you can sound really confident, but at the end of the season, if you don't have more wins than losses, you know, you're in trouble. You know, perception in that case, when things are measured pretty accurately, you know, perception isn't everything. Mm -hmm. There is a win, there is a loss, and, you know, and the, the, you know the uh, the the trophy at the end will give, be given to the person with the most wins, uh, whether they were the most confident or not.
0: Um, I love that. I love that you talked about kind of career and the kind of the metrics around what makes an amazing career. Um, just reflection upon yourself here. You, how do you feel you're doing with those metrics yourself?
1: Uh, I mean, which, which metrics uh, for, are you talking oh, about?
0: So we're going, we're going to talk about the kind of the happiness, achievement, significance and legacy. You know, so, um, you know, it seems that from what you're saying in the book is that that's ultimately what we want from a career is a sense of those four things happening or, or it's a kind of a layered effect, isn't it? Yeah,
1: I mean, because the, the issue we get into when we talk about kind of like, you know, kind of overall career happiness or life happiness or work-life balance you know, is is a really tricky one because most people, you know, we generally gravitate towards having one metric, one number that's going to show this me. This determines whether I'm a success or not. And of course, you know, that number often ends up being money yeah. because money's easy to count. <laughs> so, so uh, people gravitate towards that. But that's that's what they refer to as a collapsing metric. In other words, you're taking your entire life and you're trying to use one 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 metric to score it by. And that's that's not very effective because because, again, earning money doesn't mean you're having good relationships. It doesn't mean you're healthy. Uh, It doesn't mean that you're you're good to your loved ones. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of elements that making money uh, leaves out. You know, Uh, how much free time do you have? How much fun are you having? So, you know, we actually need more than one uh, metric. And uh, they did some research and what, what was – the research from Harvard basically showed that a lot of the people who had something achieving work-life balance where they felt that they were having a well-rounded uh, experience, uh, they, they used four metrics. They had happiness, achievement, significance and legacy. Mm. Uh, happiness was basically are you enjoying what you're doing. Achievement is you know earning money, getting promoted. Uh, significance was are you doing something that's of value to the people you love and the people who love you and then legacy was in some small way you know are you are you making the world a better place or Are you are you helping uh, others at large mm-hmm. and you know basically if you look at your calendar and you say like let me see where are my hours going uh, you can kind of quickly evaluate. You know, wow, I'm doing really good in achievement. I'm I'm working 14 hours a day, uh, six days a week. Uh, but you know what? I'm not that happy. Or or uh, I'm really happy and I'm and I'm doing well in achievement. Uh, but you know, I'm not seeing my family that often. You're you're then then you're lacking in, in significance. So you can kind of look at your calendar and by evaluating by those four metrics, you can start to see maybe where you're doing well, where you're doing not so well, and then maybe start to make changes that can help you get a little bit more balance between the four. Uh, that ratio is going to vary for, for every person, but to, to look at your calendar is probably the best way to get an idea if you're getting a, a pretty good balance between those four buckets.
0: In your, in your own life for those people you've actually seen change, what do you think are the keys to success? You know, when you, you know, cause we, there's, there's, well, I suppose there's different types of people and different types of change. And there's the person who kind of slowly over time evolves. And then there's often the person who kind of has a big shift. Uh, just, just from your own experience, what are some of the things that you've seen that's helped people be success and change?
1: I mean, you know, I think that really in the book, the the a concept I talk about that I think is really critical uh, in terms of you know making changes that that lead to success in almost any area is first the idea of knowing yourself, uh, you know, basically knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are. In the research, they refer to them as signature strengths—those things that you're uniquely good at—and um, And also there's another uh, lesser-known concept uh, called intensifiers. And intensifiers are qualities that in general are negative but in the right context can be a positive. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you might be someone who's stubborn, which in your personal relationships can be a negative. But if you're an entrepreneur – Stubbornness can be persistence and that can actually be a really positive quality. But you have to use that stubbornness in the right environment. So first I would say know thyself, know your strengths, your weaknesses, your intensifiers. And then second uh, is what Boris Groysberg at Harvard calls picking the right pond, which is – and that is aligning your, uh, your, your knowledge of yourself with an environment that rewards that. So, in other words, you know, if you are a fantastic uh, painter, uh, you know, going to work for a, uh, you know, a, a a technology firm like Google uh, might not be really good alignment uh, because they don't really value the skills you have. Uh, you know, in the same way, uh, you know, if you're fantastic at math, you know, working at an accounting firm might be great alignment because it aligns what you're good at with a place that rewards that. And I think, you know, some people, some people don't really think about either. Uh, and some people often only think about one. They think about what they're good at, but they don't necessarily think about what's, what's the best place to leverage it. Or some people say, I want to work at a great company. And they go and they work at a company that is ranked very highly, but it's not a company that really values their unique skills. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really critical to get an honest, you know, unvarnished opinion of what you're good at, what you're not, where your strengths lie. And then think about what, what company, what institutions, what groups, uh, or, you know, or in self-employment, uh, you know, what arenas, really value those skills that you have. And when you align those, you really set yourself up for success.
0: Well, you know, the book's been out for a while now, not that long, but it's been out, came out this year in May. Um, just well, since writing the books, what's been some subjects that maybe are new to you that you're finding quite fascinating?
1: Um, I mean, I've been I've been writing more about uh, about Stoicism actually uh, from ancient Greece, the philosophy. Uh, because what's funny is, while it's you know it's philosophy, uh, it actually was developed uh, by psychologists into cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive behavioral therapy originated uh, with Stoicism. And is now the most empirically demonstrated form of psychotherapy for a lot of different issues like anxiety, depression, uh, you know, behavior change. Uh, it's really powerful, and so uh, it's really interesting to me that you know two of the the leading areas in psychology that can help us live better lives uh, actually came from ancient philosophy. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy came from stoicism. And uh, mindfulness came from Buddhism, <laughs> so uh, it's interesting to me to kind of look at uh, you know this these these ideas that are you know two thousand years old, and to see how they've they've sort of been weaponized into these uh, these great tools that are relatively uh, easy to use, uh, you know that, that don't necessarily require a professional uh, to get some value out of them. So those th- those are two things that have been really exciting to me.
0: Great. Um. Well, I, I, I think I'll wrap it up there because I'm really, obviously, a very busy man. Uh, your website, yeah, my website. the The URL is
1: a little hard to spell, yeah, but yeah. if you Google barking up the if you Google barking up the wrong tree blog, or you Google my name Eric Barker, uh, it'll come up. And uh, yeah, my book is Barking Up the Wrong Tree, uh, which is available. You know. a, a Amazon or other or the other bookstores and, and I'll
0: put a link to both the website and the book in the show notes for this. Um, he's got a newsletter You've got a newsletter you send out. You've got over 300,000 people on the newsletter uh, you send out a weekly newsletter and it's obviously just all around these types of topics and uh, just how to be successful? Obviously
1: Yeah, it's it's I basically once a week I put a long form kind of post about and it's uh, everything you know, everything's validated by scientific research or expert insight uh, generally about how to improve an area of your life, uh, you know, from happiness to productivity, uh, to stress reduction, to performance improvement. And like I said, I, I try and draw everything from either si- from scientific research or, or expert insight.
0: Just, just lastly, how do you find it all? You know, because I, I'm, you know, like I love reading books. I'll read books all, all the time, but you know, you have to come up weekly. <laughs> you know, that's a pretty big task. How do, how do, what's your process around finding great content or great research?
1: It's, uh, let me tell you, that's, that's the funny thing is when people say to me, hey, you know, you wow, you, you read that whole book. And I'm like, no, I had to read five books in order to find the one book yeah. that was actually worth writing about. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's the, the tricky thing. Uh, luckily, you know, uh, good sources often lead you to good sources, uh, you know, so uh, so I get recommendations or you read a book and it references another book or uh, I used to spend a lot of time actually reading uh, scientific the papers themselves. Uh, so I actually have a, uh, you know, an, and over I've been doing this now for eight years. So I have a backlog of a of a lot of previous posts on different forms of research, uh, and as well, uh, I often uh, I often interview experts uh, as well. So I'll talk to the academics who did the research, uh, or if it's something where there's you know an a an undeniable expert in a field. So when I was writing about grit and resilience. Uh, I interviewed a Navy SEAL platoon commander when I was talking about uh, uh, persuasion. Uh, I interviewed my friend Chris, who is a former hostage negotiator for the yeah, FBI,
0: about and the uh,
1: you know, talking to people who are who are who are great in their field.
0: Last last question. I love asking people who kind of try to help others. What's the thing you struggle with most?
1: Oh man, that's a great question! Wow, how much time do you have? <laughs> uh, you know, I uh, it's uh, no, I. That's that's the thing, you know. For me, is that I'm really excited by this stuff, and you know, I I, I talk to people or I meet people who who read my book or read my blog, and they often expect me to be like the Zen master. Yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? and, you and, know, they, and, the, and that's not perfect. the case. It,
0: yeah.
1: yeah, and it's it's the total opposite. I, I'm a mess. Uh, you know, I I I, uh, you know, I I I read all this stuff because I have problems too. I'm I'm not I'm not perfect. You know. I, I, I'm not the I, my my book and my blog are not like here's all my genius ideas of how, no, I'm talking about other people's ideas. I'm on this journey with you. I am not, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm I'm walking the walk with you. I'm not perfect. I'm trying to learn. Uh, it's been an exciting journey for me and I've, I've learned a great deal, but you know, I, I struggle with uh, some of the same things. Uh, luckily over the eight years, you know, I have learned, I have grown, Mm. you know, I, I, have made big strides, but you know, I, I'm not Superman. I'm, I'm on this journey called life just like everybody else. And, you know, I, I've, I've made a lot of, you know, big strides and th- things are, things are, things are better, you know, now in a lot of ways, but you know, that's what it's about. It's, it's, there's no, there's no perfection. There's just improvement.
0: Yeah. That's, but it's just really important. because I often feel that people who do help others do get kind of deified, don't they? And everyone thinks that they're perfect. And it's like, A, it does two things. It's, it creates an unrealistic expectation expectation for people like yourself because then suddenly you feel you have to be perfect when you know no one can be perfect. And then B, it, it, it almost puts people out of touch because it's like, well, that's just what this person can do. And it's like, well, no, we all have our struggles and we all have areas we need to work on. And we, you know, through tools like what you've got in your book here, if we're willing to do the work, we can progress forward. And, and that's the real message that I think we all need to take away really, isn't it?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, you know, no, nobody's perfect. And I mean we we do we do naturally wanna sort of deify people because because it, it makes us feel like, hey, this person's an expert. This person, mm-hmm. you know, knows what they're doing. I mean, we don't we don't wanna follow anybody who doesn't know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, you know, but for me it's always about I'm looking at the I'm looking at the sources as well. I'm not ta- I'm not speaking from my life. I'm sa- because because hey, who's to say my life would work for anybody else's? So mm-hmm. I'm looking at the research. I'm talking to the experts. You know, I mean, we, we have to realize that it's like you know we can't be perfect, but we can always be better. And one of the big things I talk about in the first chapter of the book is the fact that everybody is different. You know, people have different strengths, they have different weaknesses, uh, they excel in different ways. And they'll and they'll grow and learn by taking different paths, uh, and and the research demonstrates that. So there is no one size fits all, and that's why kind of like we were talking about earlier with little bets, you need to try things out because. People are different and one solution is not going to work for everybody. You got to try a few different ones, you know, and that's the uh, that's, you know, that's the key. But it's it's but it can lead to, you know, big benefits if you keep at it over time. And, you know, that's that's a very inspiring message, which I do believe.
0: Yeah, totally. The book's called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. It's Barker. It's a really great book, guys. It's, I, I love it because there's lots of practical application, and that's, you know, as we just said there, if you're willing to work at it, you can move forward over long term. So thank you for your time today. Um, I'll put a link to your website up, and uh, just keep doing what you're doing, mate. It's great work. Thanks. So hopefully you enjoyed the interview of Eric. I have to say I really enjoyed interviewing. I, I, there was some one of the ones that and I talked about this in the interview. This idea of compassion is one of the keys. And um, as he as I read the book and as I um, you know talk to Eric, then it's something I reflect upon within myself. It's it's actually one thing I think I do well in life is um, I am very compassionate to myself. I don't beat myself up if I'm not doing well. I kind of try to assess and learn and, and progress. Um, but also when it comes to confidence, I try to be realistic around why I should feel confident in the areas. So there's lots of good stuff in this book, guys. If you if you want to check it out, you can get it on Amazon. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Uh, just go to bevanjamesisles.com and his website, which I have right here in front of me. And again, I'll have his website link in my website as well, Bevan James Isles. But it's, B- it's, oh, it's B-A-K-A-D-E-S-E u-y-o dot com so there we go so you can get that as well and he's got that blog and he sends out an article each week again science based so if you enjoyed the interview and you want to get more information and and as Eric said in the interview and this is one thing I actually finished my book my own book The Fitness Attitude based on this is that these things kind of work if you're willing to do the work to make them work and so with this Really, you know, like it's the commitment to working on yourself is actually the most important step. And then you can use the tools that Eric introduces in the book, The Barking Up the Wrong Tree, or, or you can grab my book or, um, you know, you can basically use these tools to help us progress. And the tools tend to work. And the real key is making sure you commit to doing the work. And you know this is going to be the last podcast for the year. And one thing I like to kind of talk about with my clients is what you know what have you learned this year? And I think I talked about this in the last podcast. And you know, what's been the wisdom? And for me, it's my ability to apply tools is one of the things that I really want to always be working on. And that commitment to working on yourself is really important. So as you think about 2017 and progressing into 2018. You know, if if you are someone who just likes to read books but doesn't actually apply anything, well, maybe that should be a good place to start. And then using Eric's book is a good place to go from there remember if you want to support me and what I'm doing uh, go to Bevan James Isles and become a patron of the show and you can donate as little or as much as you want towards each time I I release an episode and just go to the Patreon link on the Bevan James Isles website Uh, also My 5K Dream it's my video series program that I put a lot of work in actually I've been doing some work on it again recently and I'm really proud of the work I did with My 5K Dream it's, uh, you know, like it's it's pretty thorough it covers every base so if you are thinking about trying to run 5Ks check out my5kdream.com um, other than that um, I'll see you in 2018 have a wonderful Christmas and New Year's a holiday season and uh, yeah bring on on and I'll see you next year